Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, March 12th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi becomes the first state this year to pass a law banning transgender athletes from competing on girls' or women's sports teams. The bill's author claims the measure protects women, while LGBT advocates say it's a solution in search of a problem. Then a recent study reveals the toll of the pandemic on Mississippi's most underserved children. Plus, the House rejects a controversial medical cannabis bill proposed by the Senate. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor's office is getting out of the business of telling people what they can and cannot do. That's Governor Tate Reeves last week announcing the lift on mitigation strategies, including mask mandates and limitations on social gatherings. During the pandemic, Reeves has often lamented having to issue executive orders he claims restrict individual choices. Yesterday, Reeves signed a bill creating new restrictions, this time banning transgender athletes in Mississippi from competing in girls' or women's sports. It is the first of its kind in the nation to become law this year, following a similar law in Idaho that is currently being contested. Reeves says Senate Bill 2536, titled the Mississippi Fairness Act, protects women and girls and combats the White House's executive order on the issue. But for the fact that President Biden, as one of his first initiatives, sat down and signed an executive order, which, in my view, encourages transgenderism amongst our young people, but for that fact, we wouldn't be here today. This was one of the first things that President Biden chose to do when in office was to sign this executive order. We view this as presenting an unfair challenge to biological girls who wish to join sports teams. The Mississippi Fairness Act would bar biological men from competing in women's sports in Mississippi public schools. I have three young daughters of my own. Many of you have heard me talk about how much enjoyment 
we all get as a family from watching them play ball. It gives them opportunities to use the talents that God blessed them with, but it's not just about winning and losing. It's about the lessons that they learn while on the field. It helps them learn how to work together with their teammates. It helps them learn how to communicate, not only with their teammates, but to build relationships with other girls around the country. And it is where they have formed lifelong friendships, both with girls on their teams and with girls on the teams with whom they are competing. I am proud of the stand Mississippi is taking on this issue with the passage and ultimately the signing of the Mississippi Fairness Act. It sends a clear message to my daughters and all of Mississippi's daughters that their rights are worth fighting for. Republican Senator Angela Hill authored the law. During the signing yesterday, she told the press pool she was contacted by parents, athletes, and coaches who are concerned about males falsely self-identifying their gender to get an unfair advantage in sports. So I'm extremely proud for all the female athletes across this state and across this country who are encouraged and who are already in court fighting for their right to compete to compete on a fair and level playing field. I have spoken with many of those athletes and, you know, I have spoken with coaches and coaches know that it's not fair for biological males to compete on female teams in Mississippi. And it's just a good day for women's rights in Mississippi. In your conversations with coaches, have you heard any examples of transgender athletes attempting to try out for girls or women's sports? The coaches have told me that this is an imminent problem in Mississippi, and that's basically all the details that they were willing to give me. So they don't, they don't know any examples of it happening already? Um, I can't tell you that they don't know any examples. I believe they do know examples. I think that they wanted to leave it in general terms, but they told me that this was an urgent matter, that Mississippi needed a policy because they are already being faced with this. But I cannot give you names because coaches didn't tell me specific instances, but coaches told me that this was an imminent issue in Mississippi. Senator, uh, you hear from Rob Hill with the Human Rights Campaign. One thing he says is by the signing of this bill, there is this welcoming of discrimination against transgender athletes. What's your response or your thoughts on that? I would say that this bill ensures that women are not discriminated against. This is about women and women's rights. This is a bill to protect women. We have been able to protect women for 50 years in this country since Title IX without being beaten up and, and without being accused of discrimination. That was the whole reason that we got women, female sports teams to begin with is so that females could compete on an equal playing field. No matter what somebody identifies themselves as, women are unique, men are unique. Men are biologically, physically stronger, um, we know that even some of these elite athletes um, can be beaten in their own game by their brothers. Um, I mean, it's just that simple. It's common sense. We are protecting women's sports. We want them to be able to continue to get their medals, their scholarships. We don't want them to be beat ten times in a row by a biological male. And that's what the purpose of this is. I do not. I think this bill is not hurtful for anyone um, if they believe in the rights for women. You, you cannot support women's rights and say that biological males should be able to come in and dominate women's sports. It's just that simple. Thank y'all. Give me a name and title, please. Senator Hill. Senator Hill. 
The law, which will go into effect on July 1st, is being met with criticism by LGBTQ advocates who say the Fairness Act is akin to opening the door to bullying trans teens. Jarvis Dorch is executive director of the ACLU of Mississippi. He says this new law addresses a problem that does not exist in the state and unfairly targets kids. These are middle school and high school kids that we're talking about. Uh, whatever your politics, we, we just don't think it's something that politicians should be grateful about when passing a bill that targets children. Um, you can not understand what it's like to be a trans kid, but don't forget that they're kids. They're, these are children that we're talking about, and we're preventing them from being able to take part in athletics and sports. And surely that, that won't stop there. We, we we don't need to do this. There's not an actual case of this happening in Mississippi. Um, but we know there are trans kids in our schools, and we should be wanting to make them feel inclusive and uh, part of their community and not exclude them and put a target on their back. Those who are arguing for this measure, who think it's important, say that girls have a disadvantage when a trans girl is allowed to compete with them because they would have uh, more muscle mass or whatever it is that might separate a boy from a girl. Is there a difference when it comes to athletics between the two? And should that be a concern? I think if people were really concerned with this, they wouldn't be doing this blanket deal that just openly discriminates. They would look at what the NC2A did and putting together regulations concerning trans women participating in female sports. They didn't do that. They didn't do any hearings. They didn't do any look at what rules have been put in place, what regulations are in place for this. And, you know, we can talk hypotheticals, but the problem is that we only can talk hypotheticals because this isn't an actual issue in Mississippi. You know, you can use all of these terms and describe them in that way and, and make people fearful and think that, you're passing a, some legislation that is out to protect women when in fact what you're doing is just basically targeting trans kids. You're not, there is not a woman that is protected by this bill today, but there are plenty of trans children that are going to be harmed and feel like they are being pushed out of society because of this legislation. Do you think that there isn't a measure saying that trans boys can't play because they wouldn't be able to make the same argument that they're making now? Yeah, I think what the political argument is, is is easier when you're talking about, when you're trying to frame it as protecting women, and they're trying to make that argument, and that's been used in other areas of um, when we've had discrimination or bills that, that push discrimination. So I think that the easy political argument is, you know, they're trying to pr- protect women, but this isn't doing anything but targeting trans trans people, women or trans men or women, they're all going to feel ostracized by this bill. Does the ACLU plan on filing suit in Mississippi? Right now, one of the, a couple of issues that we have is, one, first, this isn't an issue here. So filing a plaintiff or, or building out a case is difficult because it, it is such a non-issue. Uh, we definitely are going to fight to protect anybody that does come um, under this bill or is harmed by this bill. So 
right now, we're, we're going to wait and see how this is implemented, and we're definitely going to be there to protect any families that are harmed. Do you know if individual school districts have the power to override this law? If, if they want a student, a trans girl, to play sports, are they allowed to let her? Or is this a, be- a blanket uh, law that applies to everyone and that everyone must abide by? Well, I think... You know, when you look at our universities, at least, NCAA has already put in rules and regulations that I think will stand. And those rules um, we think are appropriate. What this bill didn't do was define what's female, what's male. They took that language out out of the Senate, which leaves this issue open to school districts or the State High School Athletic Association. That's that's how we read it. And, you know, that, that was really kicking this can over to them to have to deal with. Um, so that's another problem with the implementation of this. We think the NCAA is going to look at this and say, well, we've got rules and regs that already govern this. Um, we hope the high schools will adopt those same rules that the colleges and universities are going to use. And that's one of the reasons we say this is something that's just done to target and make trans girls, trans boys feel like they're not welcome in society because it's such a toothless piece of bigoted legislation. Jarvis George is the executive director of the ACLU of Mississippi. Thank you for your thoughts today, Jarvis. Thank you. Coming up, a recent study reveals the toll of the pandemic on Mississippi's most underserved children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The now year-long pandemic is disproportionately affecting black and Hispanic families in Mississippi. The latest Save the Children report reveals these families are twice as likely as white families to lack enough food, twice as likely to be struggling with housing costs, and are about one and a half times as likely to have difficulty paying bills and to lack the tools needed for remote learning. Yolanda Miner is Deputy Director of Mississippi Programs for Save the Children, and she shares more with us. Children who are poor, children who live in rural areas, and children from communities of color are really likely to go hungry and lack the access to remote learning tools. Um, Why? Because of the resources. Why? Because a lot of families lack Internet. Um, They lack having the ability or technology to even log on to school. So this is pushing them further and further behind. Other reports and studies on children in the state almost always show poor outcomes. Is that the case here? Mississippi ranked 49 among the 50 states that were targeted in this report. At the end of 2020, 21% of Mississippi households with kids reported not having enough food to eat. That's more than one in five families. 
16% reported inadequate tools for remote learning, and over half reported having difficulty paying bills. That's in the state of Mississippi. And that's during the pandemic. So it was made worse because of, as you said, lack of resources or, 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 or the inability to get to resources? Exactly. So children that were living in poverty, um, and as you know, Mississippi lacks resources to provide for children in different areas. So COVID has really impacted it and pushed them farther behind in their education. Obviously, uh, what's going on with the parents or the caregivers is directly affecting children. Is a lot of this made worse because uh, those caregivers are out of work or not getting uh, the help they need financially or through other means because of the pandemic? I think it's a combination. So these parents are feeling high levels of anxiety, and it's a lack of child care because we know that unemployment rates doubled during COVID-19. Um, a lot of parents were out of work, and those that were working, they lacked child care because everything has shut down. The schools had shut down. The child care facilities had shut down. But the federal government has responded. I do want to say that. During this crisis, um, they, they doubled or increased the SNAP benefits, the WIC benefits, but it's a temporary fix. The disease is going to go away, but the suffering will continue. You mentioned anxiety among the adults. Children are pretty... Uh, adept at reading what their parents or guardians are thinking and feeling, does that mean that anxiety and stress is passed on to the children? Exactly. That's exactly what it means. When parents are stressed or feeling anxiety or depression, that the children will respond to that. And it could be in their behavior at school and other items as well because they feel what their parents are going through. And this study shows that 60% of them are feeling anxiety or feeling nervous. Now, parents that's not able to provide for their families, they're not focused on education. They're focused on surviving. They wake up in survival mode. How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to pay my light bill? So they're not really thinking about education. And so that means depression then sets in. And also, if they don't have the resources in many ways, including medical help, then certainly the children aren't getting the uh, emotional or mental health resources they might need. Exactly. So let me just share. I have never met a parent that didn't want to give their child the best possible start in life, but many that may not know how or lack the resources to do, you know, whether it's transportation to getting children to the hospital, being nervous because of the high number of COVID-19 cases and not wanting to get them there, being isolated from friends during COVID when all of the schools shut down. And I want to say also when the schools shut down, that really impacted families because that was the only place that these children were getting a sustainable meal is at school. So schools shut down, that took away breakfast and lunch. You're asking policymakers at the federal level, the state and local level to intervene. You've said the federal government, of course, is doing that. But you're also asking school administrators to get involved. How do you see them improving the situation for kids? 
I see them as being a voice for children, um, standing up, providing and requesting resources that will help these children catch up. Right now, many children are experiencing 11 to 12 months uh, of being out of school. Um, it's equivalent to 11 to 12 months. So what can we do? It's going to take massive investments are needed to help these most disadvantaged children to recover and catch up. And without these um, investments, the future of our children and our nation is at risk. Are there any specific measures you'd like to see the legislature take during this current session? Well, I need them to look into early childhood. We know that starting early matters. And also they can go to www.savethechildren.org slash childhood to learn more about how they can help and what they can do. And is that where the report is available at that website? Yes, it's an interactive map. You can go through the counties, through the states. It, it's a, gra- a great amount of information there. Yolanda Miner is a Save the Children Deputy Director of Mississippi Programs. Yolanda, I thank you so much for being with us and sharing the information. Thank you so much for having me. Coming up, the House rejects a controversial medical cannabis bill proposed by the Senate. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. <music> Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Mississippi House is rejecting a controversial medical cannabis bill proposed by the Senate. After a heated exchange over Senate Bill 2765 on the House floor this week, the issue was allowed to die. The measure was written to replace Initiative 65, a medical marijuana law passed by voters last November. That goes before the state Supreme Court next month. Representative Robert Johnson, a Democrat from Natchez, tells our Desiree Fraser why the House voted against it. It didn't matter what party you were in. Most people were of the opinion that this this legislation was inappropriate. Why would it be inappropriate if they put um, 65 language in the bill just in case the state Supreme Court struck down the... Uh, well, that's a, well, in my opinion, it's a misnomer. If the Supreme Court struck down 65, you... You're engrafting 65 into the legislation in lieu of the constitutional amendment doesn't solve the problem. And I, it, it, it's more, it's, it, the legislation is more of a red herring. Oh, it's to protect us just in case they rule against. Well, we just come back in January and pass legislation. Let's not give the Supreme Court an excuse to say, oh, they've already passed the legislation. We don't need to do anything. That I just think, you know, the Supreme Court, we, in fact, the rule and the, the principle in both houses has always been if there if there's an issue that's uh, a part of litigation, then we will, won't get involved in it. That's not the way you do that. If it, if the rule is unconstitutional, then you come back at a later session and institute the right language if that's the case. And was that the feeling about the Senate bill overall? Look, we didn't. 
we had an opportunity to do something in the legislature years, a number of years ongoing before we pass a, a constitutional amendment. So we passed one. Now we want to come back and introduce legislation. No. Uh, and, you know, this it just didn't it, it, do, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make legislative sense and it doesn't make sense otherwise. So that, that was that, that was a general feeling. And it's dead now for all intents and purposes. Yes, right? it's, it's dead. Yes, it's dead. Yes. Representative Lamar seemed upset that he couldn't um, move forward with it. Um, yeah, well, I, he, I, he spoke to me personally, and he, he reiterated. It, this wasn't his thing, but he, it, was, it would have given him an opportunity to have, to have you know, more, better discussions with the Senate. So this is going to tick the Senate off, so to speak. I don't know. I don't know why it would. I mean, they, we got legislation over there that they didn't pass. It's just part of the legislative process. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a bill, so clearly we didn't think it was an issue. Mm-hmm. And the Senate had one. If we thought it was one something that needed to be addressed, we'd have had our own. We would have had our own bill. We didn't have our own bill, which means that we didn't think it should be addressed, and so we didn't. Hours after the House killed the bill, the Senate took it up again, put it into a revised measure into an existing bill. So that issue is still under consideration. A House bill to phase out Mississippi's income tax over years remains in limbo in the legislature. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman says he received a report from the state economist who researched the effects of removing the tax over time. Hoseman says he's still reviewing the report and the Senate Finance Committee will take up the issue on Monday. Doesn't appear to agree with other numbers that uh, have been circulated by other people. The chairman of finance is looking at the bill, so I'll probably get with him tomorrow sometime after we meet and we'll start looking at what do you, what do you think about this and that and the other. If passed, the bill would immediately end the income tax for single Mississippians making $50,000 or less and couples earning $100,000 or less. The 7% grocery tax would be cut to 3.5%, but sales tax would go up to 9.5%. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.